table? This table specifically. Can you spell out this table? In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Good to see everyone back in church. Uh, tonight we've got Peter Sad who is giving us a talk on consider all joy really. Um, as you guys are familiar, last week we had a we had a conversation or a, a talk, topic about happiness or contentment, and we're continuing with it this week um, as well as next week. So I pass it over to Peter and uh, he'll walk us through. Thank you. So um, Aki and I were going back and forth on messages uh, to figure out the topic. So you know. I was slacking a little bit, so I sent him the topic, and I said, you know, consider it all joy, question mark, really? So poor Aki's reaction is like, uh, sure, I mean, you can pick whatever topic you want. Like, he was like, you know, deeply concerned about my um, reaction, but first of all, Happy New Year. Um, What a year, right? We're in our third calendar year of just a little bit of chaos. But I pray that 2022 is one filled with all blessings, joy, health for each and every one of you. And I really am excited to see what God's going to do in your lives. Um, It's going to be exciting. So it's actually fitting that we're starting to talk about contentment, happiness, joy. How many of us are familiar with the January blues? Right? So for, there's actually a condition called the January blues, and because January is the coldest month of the year, a lot of people feel very low mood, um, they feel very, uh, the definition essentially says feelings of low mood, sadness, lack of motivation, tiredness, and low energy. And it's actually fitting also that Bell Let's Talk, crazy enough, started in 2010. And it's the last Monday of every January. And the idea around it is a conversation about mental health, you know, wellness and things like that. And it's fitting that it's in January. Um, To be clear, you know, mental health is something that a lot of us are struggling with. And I think it's one where there, you know, I hope the stigma around it is being broken and don't feel alone if your journey's like that right now. Um, we're all here for each other. The church is here for you. Um, your leaders, your, your ministry personnel, everybody here is here for you. So don't ever feel um, this loneliness. I know that isolation and all of that just compounds it. When you look back on March 2020, it's interesting. Every time you're talking to someone, you're losing track of the calendars, right? Like, you don't even remember when COVID really started. March 2020, so we're actually almost up to two years, or we're coming around to two years. I don't think it's, I don't think anyone's going to really dispute that it's been different, and it's been challenging, um, in many respects for many people. And it's actually fitting that we're talking about joy today, right? Because the question really comes to is this, what is the difference between happiness and joy? Is there a difference? What do you guys think? 
Say it again. Yeah, so sorry, we're just gonna do it. So which one which one is based on circumstances? I'm really sorry, I I can't wear my glasses with masks. <laughs> I make the font 20 point font and I still can't read. Um, I don't know what that says about my literacy in general. But So the difference between happiness and joy, do we think that there is a difference? I think he says that there is. What I would say is this. One comes from God and one comes from this um, communion or that, this relationship and the other is reliant or reactionary to other things. You think of happiness, you think of a child opening a box and getting a toy. Pure jubilation. That's happiness, right? It's dependent on what's happening to me to give me that to give me that happiness. If people treat me well, I feel good. If people treat me poorly, then I'm unhappy. Joy, on the other hand, is unconditional. It's really not something that is reliant on objects or any condition to translate our state of being. And the Bible is quite obvious which one is of God, happiness versus joy. The Bible speaks of joy 300 times and happiness just 16 times. And the Hebrew word for joy means to leap or spin around with pleasure. In the New Testament, it refers to gladness, bliss, and celebration. And now the question is, can I have joy regardless of the journey and regardless of the season that I'm experiencing in my life? We long confuse happiness and joy, and a lot of times they're intertwined in our thinking. Happiness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is, right? You always often hear about two types of people and how they see the world. Have the glass half full and the glass half empty. I believe there's another, and that's the discourager. That's the person who complains that it's not bottled water. It's in a glass. That's how precise we are in looking at our journey and looking for things to be dissatisfied with. Our journey on earth, unfortunately, was not one that is promised to be of convenience and comfort. It's filled with trials. And the trials in our lives are there for different reasons. They're there for me to grow and rely on God, but they're also there for others to see my reliance on God. And we'll go through that together. Many, many times we think and thought of suffering is really an antithesis of God, right? You might have heard about the theodicy principle which says, why do bad things happen to good people? Very tough journey of exploration. But the Bible always teaches us that God creates both light and darkness, peace and calmity, though only for our good. Someone asked C.S. Lewis years ago the following, 
Why do the righteous suffer? And he replied, why not? And his answer was, they're the only ones who can take it. Ultimately, our journey on earth, we don't celebrate our wins. We really dwell on our losses. We, we have more emphasis on our suffering than we do on when things go well in our lives. Helen Keller's quote says this, Although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of overcoming it. How many of you guys are aware of the phrase, this too shall pass? It's not necessarily going to pass the way you want it to pass, but it passes. Think of the most, think of the incident that was probably the most challenging and impossible in recent memory. The fact that you can think about it, and if I shared it with you and, and you can tell me about it, means it passed. And the interesting thing is, it passed not necessarily the way you wanted, you wanted it to, but you still live to see another day. So James 1, 2-4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So why should we consider the trials in our lives with all joy? What do you guys think? What is at the end of the rainbow after we get over the trial? Part of gold. Sorry? Part of gold. Because Pot of gold. Pot of gold? Sure. And some unicorns, right? <laughs> we know that trials, once we overcome them, will strengthen us. A trial is a test. You think about Olympians and their training. Or you think about someone who, in their 40s, for the first time runs a marathon. Or does a triathlon. The fear, the, at the beginning of that journey, the very essence of that impossibility, of going on that journey, could paralyze you. But how many times do you read about the success stories of people who actually put the challenge and they went for it? Look, in short, we're being tested so we might become mature and complete with a pure and undefiled faith. And we go through testing so that we might not be missing or lacking anything. And it's interesting. This epistle says that trials produce joy. And Christian joy is produced by the Holy Spirit. It is not dependent on circumstances. There's actual joy in our hearts and in our lives based on our proximity to the Almighty God. Later on, we talk about this. When Christ was on the cross looking down, all I envision is Christ has his outstretched arms on the cross, and he's looking down as people are yelling and screaming. The very same people who crucified him during that trial. How did Christ survive that? Because Christ, being a human in that, felt the pain. How did he survive that? 
He knew what joy was coming in his journey through the resurrection and ultimately giving us a chance at eternal life. Christian joy is produced strictly by our relationship with God. Habakkuk 3, 16-19 says this, I heard and my heart pounded, and my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come. On the nation invading us. Remember this part. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the field, the field produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength, He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, He enables me to go on the heights. Our problem is we want instantaneous results. We want things to manifest so fast. If someone wronged me, I want God to strike them from heaven with lightning immediately. And I want that to be sort of my justification or my equalization. Unfortunately, first, that's flawed. Right? God's going to work at his own time. And God, he has a plan for every encounter we have in our lives. We sometimes are too quick to assume a perfection or a specific set of facts about the person in front of us. How many of us actually go on social media? and see really ugly and stupid pictures of people in our network. <laughs> Very few. If we take a bunch of selfies or pictures today and they all stink, how many of them are going to go on our social media profiles? None. We're just going to keep taking them. We put perfection out there. And we assume, we assume perfection of that person in front of us. There's a saying that says, I read about this, and it said, we make every perfect assumption about the person in front of us knowing the worst facts about our own circumstances. We give the benefit of the doubt to everyone in front of us and assume their life's perfection. But we know the struggles that we're embraced on, or the journey that we're on. 2 Corinthians 7, 4 says, Great is my confidence in you, great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort, I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. We have access to joy, but we must go after it and get it in our lives. A story is told of a disgruntled American who once complained to Benjamin Franklin, and he said this, So where is all this happiness that the Constitution was supposed to guarantee me? And Franklin responded and said, The Constitution only guarantees the American people the right to pursue happiness. You have to catch it yourself.
So trials produce joy, and then the second thing is trials produce perseverance. 1 Timothy 12 to 14 says, for the, for the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep, thy, keep by the Holy Spirit which dwells in us. How many of us are really patient? Life is moving so fast around us. You know, there was a comedian, I don't know who it was, it was one of the guys that got in trouble with one of the scandals, I don't remember which one. <laughs> and he, he said, I'm so sick and tired of both Blitzer and CNN. Every time I turn the channel on, the thing is on breaking news. <laughs> he goes, the entire day is breaking. That's the pace of life, right? And now God is telling us, hey, slow down. Give me a chance to work. Take a deep breath. Trust me. I've got your back. I just need a chance. Patience produces character. First Peter 3-9 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when, when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you may not have seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an, an expressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Again, the passage contemplates, the, you know, the passage is so clear, it's like, hang in there. I know you're going to go through trials. And that's the Bible. The Bible's amazing. Written years ago. But every time you encounter anything in your journey on earth, what ends up happening? How many of you Google, like, when you're down, you know, Bible verses about peace or something? And then there's, like, you know, you just want one, and then you get, like, 85, and you're like, okay, I get it, I get it, I'll find peace, right? But that's the Bible. It has an answer. And the amazing thing, you know, so one way to look at it is the, the Bible anticipated our journey on life. And another way to also think about it is humans, as complicated as we think we are, we're so predictable. You just move around the pieces, but the journey and the struggles have existed in humankind for many years. And then patience is joined with 
Patience is joined with joy. First Colossians 1.11 says, Strengthened with all might, according to the glorious power for all patience and long-suffering. Again, long-suffering, patience, perseverance, and then it concludes with joy. It seems like whenever they're in doubt in biblical passages, they just add joy at the end of it. You see, it's the strength that God gives us that helps us endure with joy. Jesus had to endure that suffering on the cross, like we said earlier. Think about that. Christ was born knowing at a specific point in his journey, he was going to be crucified in the most gruesome way on the cross. It's like someone with a terminal illness. They know they're going to have pain. There's a lot of calmness that these people experience. There's a lot of patience and perseverance. And, and Christ didn't change his course. He accepted that pain and suffering on the cross, knowing ultimately that at the conclusion there was joy and that he was going to you know, save humankind and give everyone the opportunity for eternal life. So Martin Luther King Day Jr.'s Martin Luther King Jr.'s day was on Monday, and there's so much you can learn about the journey that he was on. And he says this quote: "Faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. Faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase." Let me translate that into something very practical for you and me. We get in the car, and it's a foggy day. We drive slower, but we trust in our ability to see forward enough knowing where the road is. We're on this journey. And faith will, will allow us to have joy in knowing that we have an almighty God that has our back. Isaiah 41.10 says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So trials do produce patience, but the trials are inevitable. And then trials, the conclusion of, the, of James 1, 2 to 4 says, trials produce maturity and contentment. So Sandra spoke about contentment last week. Philippians 4, 10 to 13 says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have had, you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned that the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So St. James declares that these trials give us the maturity. You know the story of the blind man who was blind from birth. And that encounter with Christ was really interesting. Because based on the ideology of the Old Testament or, or, or the um, Judaism at the time, 
it was sickness meant sin. Right? It was sort of like, you hear it in different religions now, it's like, what did you do in your prior life? You've heard that sentence, right? Like when someone has like a bad stretch. And this is the part of trials that is really difficult to accept. I think if we're struggling because God wants to teach me a lesson and I'm experiencing a trial, I get it. It's a wake-up call. The cause of this disease was sin. And what did he say? Neither. And he came back and he said, but for God to be glorified. So sin was not the cause of the specific suffering or ailment. He just needed this teachable moment for many people. And this is God's ultimate purpose for all difficult and trying circumstances. He wants to reveal himself and work in a perfect way. If I tell you we're having a prayer meeting just because we want to have a prayer meeting. You know, I could probably get 10, 12 people, maybe not on a minus whatever day, okay? If I send a WhatsApp message saying, this person is struggling and is in surgery for whatever disease, I'll probably get 100 people. And it may be people that don't know this person. Was that suffering a correlation of sin? Was that suffering for the, for the glory of Christ? Was that suffering an opportunity as a wake-up call for someone else? It's okay if you struggle with that concept, right? Because some people would say, look, I, I'm not here to be a missionary. I just want to live a good life. Just... Let me be. But unfortunately, human interactions don't let us live in isolation. How well did we do with all these lockdowns? Yeah, exactly. Big thumbs up. I share this because it's true. Last year we took we took the kids to Blue Mountain. And we went swimming in an outdoor pool in December. That's how desperate COVID made us. Like, who in their right mind does this? Isolation makes you do crazy things. So speaking of contentment, the story's told of two old friends who, hit, who run into each other, coincidentally on the street. So one of them looked very down and the other said you know he was on the verge of tears and the other's like hey you know what's going on what has the world done to you and he said let me tell you three weeks ago my uncle died and he left me forty thousand dollars so the friend is like wow that's great like you know and he's like two weeks ago a cousin i never even knew died and left me eighty five thousand dollars so the the other friend is a little perplexed and he's like, you've been rather, you know, fortunate or blessed. Then he goes, you don't understand. 
My great aunt passed away last week and she left me a quarter of a million dollars. So by this point, the friend is just really confused. So he asks him, so why do you look so glum? He's like, this week, I got nothing. <laughs> so, and the question is, does that cranky person sound like any of us? How many of us focus on our wins? How many of us focus on our daily miracles that we live through? You went to sleep and you woke up. You got out of bed, you got into a car, you turned it on, it worked. You drove, the brakes functioned as they were supposed to. You tried to make coffee, the water heated, the coffee was hot, you turned on your computer, there was no virus, and you can just keep going. But we wouldn't think about that. We would be so mad if the coffee spilt on our white shirt. And the only thing that would throw us off the whole day is that coffee spot on the shirt that we're struggling with. So in order for us to have, to have pure joy in our lives, we need to address what I'll call joy killers. And some of these apply, you know, to different degrees to different people, but they're all there. The first is unfilled, unfulfilled or unfilled expectations. Is life going the way you want it to go? Is your career progressing the way you expected it to? Are relationships working the way they were meant to be? You know, how is my dynamic with my parents? Are my parents getting sick and I'm now in caregiver mode at a much younger age than I wanted to? One thing we can definitely be certain of is our life will be full of things we can't control. And it's very unpredictable. A spirit of discontentment can rob us of our joy. Philippians 4.12 says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. We talked about this one earlier. And this is the important part. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And St. Paul actually uses the word secrets. He's giving you the secret sauce here. And there's a mystery about it. And it goes further, and he also says he had to learn it. So if your journey, you're not there yet, our journey on earth is a, you know, we keep going. And every day is a new opportunity to experience Christ in a different way and to get closer. Joseph Campbell says this, we cannot cure the world's sorrows, but we can choose to live in joy. We cannot cure the world's sorrows, but we can choose to live in joy. Contentment does not come with everything you want, but wanting what we have. 
So we talked about unfilled expectations. The second is unresolved conflict. When we allow unresolved conflict to go on with another, our joy disappears. What eventually happens is our emotions take over, and we are so spent from our conflict that we have nothing left to give God. Hebrews 12, 14 to 15 says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. A real, a real factual and sad situation. It's ironic. I was, I was once sharing with my dad about, you know, the journeys and different things in my work, and, and he said to me this, and it stuck with me. He says, you see family conflicts in moments of joy and moments of sorrow. In between, families don't have to interact. So imagine if siblings are not at peace. Let's trickle this down. You want your children to be at peace with each other. But they never see your, your, their aunt or their uncle. How do you think the modeling is going to work? What do you think is going to happen in the future? And to have joy, we need to deal with these unresolved conflicts. There's another fruit of the Spirit. What's the first one? Come on, we know the song. Love. If the world was love, filled with love and respect, would there be conflict? I don't think so. Because first, I would never have a disagreement with you simply because I don't like you. And if I always speak to you with respect, I won't offend you. And we will find a way to get through a conversation. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, Keep no records of wrongs. We have a scoreboard. We always do. We're always keeping score. I'm sharing with you guys because I think I'm, you're going to think I'm completely like delusional and dumb. But tell me if I'm wrong. When someone posts something on social media, and I like Aki's post, and he doesn't like mine. Am I going to like his the next time? <laughs> I thought we left junior kindergarten like 40 years ago, but we didn't. I like your post all the time. What? I like your post all the time. <laughs> Thank you. But that's the, that's the reality, right? It's amazing how I talked earlier about human characteristics are, they don't change. We don't really want to share, even though we tell kids to share. We don't really want, you know, someone else to win. Little kids are the funniest because it's like, they'll change the rules until they're first, right? Like, 
It's like this ever-evolving competition until, like, you know, it's like, who's the fastest? And then, you know, someone will lose, and they'll be like, well, who's the fastest seven-year-old girl? <laughs> well, there's only one in that category, and inevitably she's going to win. St. Paul makes the connection between unity and joy in Philippians 2.2. He says, then, we make, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Ask yourself, who am I not at peace with? You may not change the relationship. And you may leave a part of the relationship that can remain unresolved. But you can still love each other. You can still find something else to engage in. I share these things with you because I'm sure if you look at your parent, you look at your home life, and you look at your family, you look at your cousins, you look. Tell me you don't look back and say, "Yeah, I didn't see that uncle around at all, or that aunt, or that grandma, or whatever." Well, kids aren't dumb. So, like, if you tell the kids we want you to be close together, you gotta love each other, and this, eventually, one of them is gonna be a smart aleck that says, "Yeah, but you don't love your sister." Or whatever. Figure out which unresolved relationship. Because there's two reactions to unresolved relationships. The first is hardening, which is not good. And it's not good for one reason. You can't selectively harden yourself. Once you harden yourself towards one person, it just gets easier to replicate it. All of a sudden, you start isolating yourself and become almost like a statue, you become like a stone, a rock, no feelings, no sympathy, no empathy. So that's one way. And the other way is you're the attack dog. Not only is the relationship bad, but you're determined to prove you're right and therefore making it worse. Congratulations, you win. Are you at peace? There are relationships that were even limited in our journey that have left a mark on us and that may be unresolved. And eventually, you may have to deal with it. It might be a professor who just gave you a miserable time. And then finally, this last one is the most important one. The unconfessed sin. No, Abuna didn't tell me to talk about confession. And no, Abuna didn't say it's a new year, let's wipe the board clean. No. Sin? It's an amazing ingredient in our lives. Because it's never dormant. It's an active agent always working to do more harm. Do you guys know the picture of the Good Shepherd, where God the Father is knocking on the door? It was described this way. It was described as if that door was your heart. And the Good Shepherd knocks at the same pace, constant. 
And your reception to it and your ability to hear the knocking depends on what barriers are between you and the door being sin. Sin can send joy so fast, so far away. And a byproduct of sin is guilt. And that drives us there really fast. David the psalmist was an egregious sinner. And I always find that the scriptures do this on purpose with us, is they, they don't like get them to fall in like small white lies. It's like, no, he had a guy killed for sexual impurity. Like, we're layering the sin on. In Psalm 32, 1-5, he says this, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose, whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The end to this psalm has a wonderful message. When David owned up to sin and his joy returned, he concludes by saying, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. David could not rejoice until he confessed his sins. And once he did, his joy returned. Our joy is directly related to the close to our closeness with God. Do you have some unsatisfied expectations that have led you to the spirit of discontentment? Determine what they are. Do you have any sin that has not been confessed? <clears throat> are you involved in conflict with someone? If so, confess it to God. And the psalmist describes how we feel, right? Because David says, the heaviness of the hand. Sin is a burden. Don't keep silent any longer. It will only chew up your joy. Acknowledge your transgression and taste the joy that was once yours. Then you will be truly glad and able to rejoice in the Lord again. Psalm 51, 7 to 8 says, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Now think of the sacrament of confession. When you go confess, and you bring all your sins to God, and you speak to Abuna, how does it feel on the way out? The stress and anxiety going to the appointment is like utterly miserable, and the leaving is like freedom. And you know what it does? And tell me if I'm wrong. But you're leaving confession and someone calls you and you know like that person's gonna like gossip with you or like tell you something. You're like, dude, I just confessed, like, can we do this tomorrow? Like, 
Like, give me 24 hours of this, like, lightness. I actually think of confession like when someone detoxes on a juice diet, right? You shed quick weight. You go to Abuna, tell them everything, and you're liberated and free. And that confession, and that proximity, because what is what is sin? Sin is an obstacle to our proximity to God. There's a Chinese proverb that says this, a gem is not polished without rubbing, nor a man made better without trials. Sure, it doesn't feel good to go through abrasive moments and trials in our lives. And this is a key, sometimes they're recurring. Some of these things will remain unresolved in our lives always. We have to remember that life is full of rubbing, rubbing shoulders and exchanging hearts and hugs with people that we may not be at peace with. And every time, we'll, every time life would seem to cut you and grind you, it means God is working. Like I said to you at the beginning, think of the most miserable encounter or experience you had. <clears throat> Did it pass? Did. Did it pass like you wanted it to? Probably not. You know, someone once said to me, the challenges continue, but with maturity, your plate becomes bigger. Your plate doesn't get lighter. You don't get less things you have to deal with. You get more things you have to deal with as life progresses, but you're just more able to deal with them at that moment. God's promise is that joy is superior to happiness because happiness is conditioned on things happening. When happenings are good, we feel happy, but the inverse is also true. Joy, on the other hand, is a divine attribute. Nehemiah discovered the joy of the Lord is contagious on contact. When you leave Kiev praises, or you leave liturgy, and I'm not saying the liturgy where you're just trying to get the gold star for the week by showing up on Sunday. I'm talking about the optional midweek liturgy that you show up to. When you leave that one, how do you feel? There's a peacefulness to it. And liturgical services in our church are very powerful because worship is a great form of joy. We hear the word rejoice. Sing aloud. You hear it so much. When you're passing through the fire today, consider it all joy. Welcome the various and diverse trials as old friends. Knowing that it is Christ himself who is working out his great plan in your life and that nothing can separate you from his love. For I know the plans I have, you, I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I don't know, how many negative words did you hear in that, in that passage? Romans 8.38. How many negative words? They're all positive, future, prosperous. Christ wants the best for you and me. 
And he's only working the spiritual fruit in you so that you might be mature and complete. And I'll conclude with this, and I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. There's a saying from Neri Newman that says this, Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. God be all the glory for our work. Amen. What do you guys think? You guys always this quiet? What do you think of the killers? <laughs>